L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Oh, hi, hello there. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am your host, Liv, here with yet another bonus episode devoted to looking at the mythological background and context and characters of Q Code's new podcast, Cupid. As with every one of these bonus episodes, if you're a regular listener of my show, I highly recommend you listen to Q Code's Cupid. It's a rom com based on the Olympians, so you just know it's fun and silly and generally a thrill to listen to. Plus, it's a musical. And these episodes will make more sense. If you're a listener of Cupid and you found my show, though, then hello, welcome. I have literally so much content to bestow upon you. You'll never run out of Greek mythology ever again. But if that's overwhelming, I don't blame you. I've got a link in this episode's description to a playlist that features episodes you might find particularly interesting, the perfect places to start, and the ones I mention in this podcast. You won't regret it either. Greek mythology is seriously fun. It's got everything. Drama, tragedy, comedy, romance, gore. Everything. This is the bonus Cupid after show. Potions and punctures. Love at the hands of the gods. Today's bonus episode is dedicated to episode four of Q Codes Cupid, and I'm pretty excited for everything I'm going to share with you. So this episode, which came out yesterday, didn't introduce too many new mythological concepts or characters. It featured these already established characters that I've talked about, because you've got to build that suspense, let alone the romance. 
But what it did feature a lot of is a certain substance that's been invented by the show. Aphrodite's loom juice. A powerful love potion that, well, seems to really mess people up. So I thought, what better to look at in the background mythology than love potions, or rather, love spells generally, as is most common in Greek myth. Simply, the gods causing people to fall in love, for better or worse. Except, who are we kidding? It's Greek myth. It's usually for worse. Here's the most important thing you need to know about how these gods of love, Aphrodite and Eros, better known as Cupid, influence humans and even gods to fall in love. They are love itself. It doesn't exist without them, and so all love is technically inspired by one of these two gods. That said, sometimes it's more explicitly inspired, or forced, in stories by one of these two. Except, in the case of certain goddesses, namely Artemis and Athena, neither of these two goddesses ever take lovers, and instead there are sources that explicitly name them as essentially aromantic or asexual, like immune to the powers of Aphrodite and Eros. It's really interesting. Sappho, the famed poetess of Lesbos and the origin of the word lesbian, because of her poems about love between women, she wrote that Eros, the so-called loosener of limbs, never set his sights on Artemis. The others, though, he tends to have complete and utter control over, he and Aphrodite. And in some sources, it's more explicit than others. The best example of this is the story of Apollo and Daphne, and that one is explicitly inflicted by Eros in the most visceral sense. At least, according to the version found in Ovid's Metamorphoses, who was a Roman writing from the 1st century CE. According to Ovid, Eros, or Cupid, as Ovid quite appropriately calls him, has two different types of arrows. I referred to these in the first episode as love and loathe arrows, but that's my own terminology that is perfect if you ask me. (laughs) In Ovid, one type of Cupid's arrows are tipped with gold and the other lead Those tipped with gold will make a person fall in love, sometimes with the first person they see, other times it's more intentional, planned out, and the others, the arrows tipped with lead, will make the person absolutely loathe the intended. And on one fateful day, the god Apollo encountered Cupid and his arrows. Apollo, you see, is the god of archery, and so he took this opportunity to take a jab at Cupid's skills. He insulted the god of love, made fun of him for using his arrows for affection rather than hunting. And, well, Cupid decided to punish him. He shot an arrow at Apollo so that he would fall in love with a nymph who was nearby, a woman named Daphne. And he shot an arrow at Daphne that would make her hate, absolutely loathe, Apollo. Now, this is mythology, which means if anyone's going to end up hurt in this scenario, it's going to be the woman. The long and short of it is, Apollo chased after Daphne, trying to catch her to, well, presumably assault her, but we're to believe it's because he was in love? (sighs) Yeah. And Daphne ran away from him. She wanted nothing to do with him. But he was faster. And in the end, the only way she could escape was to cause herself to be transformed into a tree. The laurel tree. She escaped Apollo, but he couldn't even take that as a no, and instead... He, out of love, 
took the laurel tree as a symbol for himself. Like I said, the love of the gods is usually for the worse. There are many stories of Cupid's arrows, particularly from Ovid's Metamorphoses. It was a work well suited to telling that kind of story. In fact, it seems like Cupid having a token bow and arrow might have been a bit more rare in the Greek takes on his stories, where they featured arrows. But there are lots of stories from traditionally Greek mythology that feature the gods forcing love on unwitting humans. Or, even better, the brewing of potions. Now, love potions weren't necessarily common in the stories, but loom juice makes me think too much about the potions of ancient Greek witches, and frankly, they're just as interesting as any love spell. So we're combining the two. The mythological witch, who best fits the criteria for today's episode, she fits both, actually. Both someone inflicted with love by the gods and someone who can brew a good potion. You might have heard of her, or if you've, you're already a listener of me, you've absolutely heard of her without question, because, well, I'm kind of obsessed. And honestly, it's kind of fun talking to people who might not have listened to my show before, like I have fresh ears. But I digress, we're talking about Medea. Medea was a woman from the eastern region of the Mediterranean, Colchis. We're talking modern Georgia. While she was, for the most part, seen as a mortal woman, she was the descendant of gods. And not just any gods. Medea's grandfather was the titan god of the sun, Helios. Basically the literal sun, but also a god who drove the chariot that pulled the sun across the sky every day. And, well, he began his journey in the east. Hence, these descendants of his being eastern characters, not from Greece. The ancient Greeks who were developing these mythologies could plainly see that the sun didn't originate in their lands, so they had to extrapolate. And yes, this is a realization I've come to recently, which is why I'm sharing it. How fun is that? Anyway, Medea was the daughter of the king of Colchis, Helios's son, Aetes. And Aetes was, well, a shitty guy. So when a man by the name of Jason showed up with a crew ready to take Aetes's most prized possession a golden fleece, Medea was interested in helping, but she was also influenced by the gods. In that case, she was influenced by a number of gods, but the ones who actually made her fall in love with Jason, an experience she and everyone who ever reads her story will come to regret, were Aphrodite and her son, Eros. In these cases, the actual experience of placing a kind of love spell upon a human is less literal than a spell or even a bow and arrow. It's just something the gods do to someone. Something that happens to them. They simply made her fall in love with Jason. And Jason is an absolute dirtbag, but that's a story for another time. Surprise, surprise, there are episodes on it in the playlist. What I'm interested in here is both the idea that Aphrodite and Eros are out there forcing humans to fall in love in order to do the bidding of the gods, In this case, it's Hera who wants the end result. She wants Medea to help Jason succeed in Colchis. Because, spoilies, Jason can't do anything on his own. 
But with the help of Medea, due to her all-encompassing love for him, he makes it out of Colchis with the Golden Fleece and returns to Greece. But here's the thing about Medea. She's not just any woman or even any woman descended from gods. She's a witch. A really, really cool witch who, fine, does some bad things. This is where the potions come in. They may not be love potions, but the brewing of potions by witches is definitely something that happens in Greek mythology, particularly centering around these descendants of Helios. Both Medea and her aunt, another child of Helios, Circe, love to brew a good potion. Last week I told you about Circe's potions because of the plants mentioned in Cupid, but this still seems fitting. Again, they may not be love potions, but they're absolutely as strong and potent as the loom juice of Q-Code's Cupid. Medea's potion? Well, one time she makes one and it basically brings a man back from near death, and another time she uses it to cause another man's death. She's quite the woman. Like I said, you can find details of these in the episodes devoted to her and witchcraft. Meanwhile, Circe's most famous potion was used to transform men into pigs because, well, she didn't want them on her island. Simple enough. In both cases, we get a sense of just how powerful these witches' potions were. Can only imagine what they would have created if they had tried a love potion. But then Aphrodite would have never allowed it. There are countless, and I mean countless, stories of Aphrodite and Eros causing humans, even gods, to fall in love with others. They act as a major plot point in so many stories. The notion is simple enough. These are gods of love, and thus, if one is in love, it's caused by them, no matter what. Sometimes the person doing the falling, though, is more willing than other times. Or rather, I would say probably those who fall in love willingly just don't end up with stories written about them. It's not quite as exciting as the alternative. I could go on and on about stories like this forever, but instead I'm going to finish off this Cupid bonus after show episode by looking at a couple of fun comments that are made by the character of Scooter Boy to Cupid. There's some good mythological references in here that need to be broken down. Cupid wants to prove his love to Rose, but he goes about it in the wrong way. So his little pal Scooter Boy has some alternate suggestions. That is, after Cupid exclaims quite beautifully, Sweet Theseus! (laughs) And actually, we have to start there. Because if I am anything, it is a woman beholden to explaining the horrors of Theseus to anyone who will or is forced to listen. See, Theseus is a piece of human garbage, but he's also one of Greek mythology's most important heroes. Weird, I know. But he has a habit of abducting women. Like a, a lot of them. An Amazonian queen named Antiope, the famous Helen of Troy before she was ever in Troy, when she was Helen of Sparta, and when she was, well, at the very, very oldest? Twelve? You see what I mean? Still, all of that tends to get forgotten about in favor of his most famous exploit, which Scooter Boy mentions in the next line, when he tells Cupid there are better ways to prove his love, like winning a chariot race, battling a minotaur, outsmarting a gorgon. All perfect mythological references that need explaining. Firstly, but don't worry, we'll get back to Theseus in a second, is winning a chariot race. This is referring to, well, there are certainly lots of chariot races and almost certainly more than one chariot race over a woman, but the famous one I think of is that of Pelops. Pelops was the son of Tantalus, a man who famously 
fed his son, Pelops, to the gods at a feast. Yeah, the gods were not fans of this moment. They don't like uh, being forced to eat people, which is the understatement of a decade. Then they punished Tantalus with some of the worst punishment imaginable. They restored Pelops to life. And then he went on to take part in a chariot race for a woman named Hippodamia. In order to win, he ended up killing a man who then cursed him as he fell to his death. This is curse number two on that family, which continues down the line to become, well, the Tantalid curse, which begets the curse of the Pelopidae, that begets the curse on the house of Atreus. Whew. I know. Learn about all these curses and episodes on the Spotify playlist found in the episode's description. The long and short of it is, while maybe you might accidentally cause a curse on your family for generations to come, you could also win the love of a nice woman via chariot race. <laughs> Which leads us back to Theseus, battling a minotaur. Most importantly, though, there is only one minotaur. He's not like centaurs or other creatures. He's one dude who had a very, very bad origin story. Like ingenious, but gross. Yeah, there's an episode for that. Don't worry. It's basically the story that started this entire podcast. Theseus defeats the Minotaur with the help of the princess of Crete, Ariadne, the Minotaur's own half-sister. She gives Theseus the famous thread that gets him back into the labyrinth and maybe even gave him the sword he used to kill the monster. Needless to say, she was absolutely vital to his success. Much like Medea and Jason, are you sensing a pattern? <laughs> so when Theseus abandoned her, alone, on an island, while she was sleeping, shortly after this defeat that he couldn't have done without her, well, he solidified himself as the worst hero. Yeah, there's like a five-part episode series on how bad this dude was. He tried to kidnap the queen of the underworld. And with that, we loop back around to the Gorgon, who I mentioned in the first After Show episode. Perseus is the hero who defeats the famous Gorgon, Medusa, but I must say I wouldn't count it as outsmarting. In some accounts, modern ones, that is, Perseus might be described as outsmarting her with the shield and the mirror aspect, but in most ancient sources, she's sleeping. He sneaks up on her while she's sleeping, and he cuts her head off. It's less than heroic, but it is famous. Heroes were... Well, let's just say that the modern word for hero isn't the same as its ancient connotation. Heroes were kind of just men who traveled around and did things to help the locals. Sometimes those things ended up very bad. It's very on brand for me to manage to talk about the shittiness of Jason, Theseus, and Perseus all in one quick bonus episode. Oh, nerds, thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode devoted to breaking down the mythological characters and references in Q-Code's Cupid. This is seriously fun. It's nice to have bonus content, but also just like a thrill to have so many little references and things to think about and break down for you, particularly if you're new to my show. Like, I love this as an introduction. And if you want more, which I mean, how could you not? Make sure you check out that Spotify playlist in the episode's description. It has so many episodes for you to listen to to learn more about these characters and all their messy lives. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things, from running the YouTube to creating promotional images and videos to editing and research. 
Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by Acast. Once again, huge thank you to Qcode for this fun little collaboration and generally being great to work with. I am Liv and I love this shit. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store.